Think about the concept of rare. It's often synonymous with unique, valuable, precious. But what about in the context of disease? Rare diseases are defined as having an extremely low prevalence, yet an estimated 30 million Americans have one. That's one in 10 people. Listen as we uncover some of the inspiring stories of lives touched by rare disease and see how in the end, we all have rare in common. I'm your host, Andrew Stratton, and I have a rare disease. Since my diagnosis with partial lipodystrophy at age 37, I've become a voice for my community, first through the creation of the patient foundation, Lipodystrophy United, and now through public outreach and national awareness campaigns. Well, you two have been pretty busy. I'm with Lindsay and Melissa with the FCS Foundation, and we're here at Global Genes. Uh, not only is this event very busy, you've, you've had um, quite a bit of activity happening in your community. I really wanted to talk about what's going on with uh, the FCS community and, and a recent decision by the FDA. Right now, the hot topic with the FCS community is definitely the decision uh, made about Waylibra. And the FDA just voted to reject it for now. So right now we're really trying to come together as a community and raise awareness for FCS and really what the patients need and want and that we definitely need a treatment. We need an option and that we would like to meet with the FDA and discuss, you know, moving forward. So what does that mean, reject it for now? So they gave the sponsoring company a CRL, a complete response letter. Okay. And in it, there are some things that they need. You know, our take on it is there are things that they need in order to make a decision for the drug. So they are working on those things alongside Avexia. Uh, and then we are working on the patient side of it to talk about what the patients need and... Our experiences, our community's experience with Waylivra and the trial and what that has meant for them. And we want to really make sure that they are, that the FDA is getting that information in their decision-making process. So backing up a little bit, I had the opportunity to interview Justin a few months ago. And at that point, the FDA advisory panel had a, uh, voted to um, recommend approval, right? So the advisory panel makes a decision, and almost always the FDA goes with that decision, right? Yes, this was really unexpected. We were pretty shocked when the CRL was um, given because we were expecting approval. And personally, uh, foundation aside, as people who are affected by FCS, how did you feel? I'm absolutely dev devastated. I, I've been on Waylibra for three years, and it's benefited me greatly. So to hear that it was not being approved, um, it was a, sh a huge shock and, um, you know, like I said, devastating. Yeah. I just didn't know how my life was going to change. Right. Yeah. So, Melissa, how did you feel when you, when, when you read the decision? So my daughter, Juliana, was diagnosed uh, about almost six years ago now. And when she was first diagnosed, I didn't think there would ever be a treatment. I didn't think there would ever be an opportunity for her like Waylivra. And when it was denied, I was heartbroken, you know, just shattered because I felt like this was going to be an option for her. Even if it's 
10 years from now before she can take it, you know, before she's of age where she can, where she can take it just for her to have an option was life changing. And it was heartbreaking, you know, that we really felt like it was looking good. The advisory committee voted in favor of it, that they found it positive. And then, you know, now what? So not only are your personal lives affected, you also represent the community. So you feel devastated. I mean, you probably had really not so great days uh, or a day or two. How did you pick yourself up and say, okay, what's next? You know, it's funny because Lindsay and I talked about that because we knew we needed to rally the community. Yeah. But we also needed to mourn as patients that this had happened. Yeah. And... I think people were really looking to start moving forward, and we just acknowledged it. We said, listen, we need a day or two to think about what this means for our lives, and then we'll be there with you. And that's pretty much what happened, is we took that day or two, and then it was like, all right. That's fair. We needed to be sad and upset and for ourselves, and then, and then we felt like we were in a place where we could channel that towards helping the community and being the voices for our community. So have you used um, examples from previous experiences or patient communities? Like, how did you decide, okay, this is what what's next? I, I think our feeling is that this drug needs to be approved. And we need, the community needs this option and the community needs this opportunity. We know that there are other organizations and other foundations who have been through this with the mm-hmm. FDA. But to us, this is really our fight, you know, because every situation is unique and we're going to do what we need to do. Right. As Melissa said, it's like we knew that this this drug needs to be approved. So how do we do what we the best that we can do to get there? So mm-hmm. by raising awareness and really calling on the FDA, you know, call it call, a call to action um, is what we felt was the best way to go about this to. I mean, to get the patients involved, to really put it on the FDA to, you know, set up a meeting. Right. And. We're hoping that that will move us forward. So that's what you've done. You've asked for a meeting. We have, yes. Okay. Are you um, having your community take any action specifically? We are. We're encouraging them to contact the FDA on their own, reach out to their congressmen and their senators, um, have their family members do what, all of these things as well. We've had member a member of our community started a petition on change.org which I believe has over 12,000 signatures at this point, which is pretty incredible for a rare disease. You know, right. if you see a rare disease only affects one or two per million, and now we have 12,000 signatures, You've it impacts a lot yeah. more than just that one to two per million. Yeah. So we see this, the, the optimistic side of us sees this as an opportunity to rally our community and to get people on board and to get to know people and to use that momentum to get to the FDA and to have that conversation. Do you have anyone else asking you, okay, well, if they, they're they not sure they're going to approve it, then it's not a good drug? Not so much asking us that, but I think there are, is a question of, well, what are the side effects? And are they more dangerous than what we've been told they are? We've been doing our best to address that in the community as well. And, you know, we were at the advisory board meeting in May mm-hmm. with the FDA, so we can speak to those side effects and reassure the community of what we know. And again, this drug might not be for everybody, but it's an option that I think, well, we both feel strongly that it should you know, be an option. Right, right. So you're not saying, okay, 
everyone, you know, we leave her for everyone. That's, I really right. think, what well. people don't understand when it comes to rare disease. And the benefit-risk ratio is different in rare disease. And that's, I think, the, the big part of where we're coming from with the FDA is you're not going to get the sample size you want for a study because you can't. How can you? What's one, two million people have the disease, you're not going to get the data and the numbers that might make you feel comfortable for a non-rare disease drug. Right. So you need to listen to patient voices because the data isn't going to capture it all. And there are side effects and just like any other drug, but you need to give patients the opportunity to make that decision for themselves because there isn't a lot known about the disease. And so people who aren't living with it day to day or familiar with what pancreatitis feels like are making decisions for people who do. And that's what we really, the stories we really want to get across the FDA. And and part of those stories are your own. Um, Lindsay, you want to talk just a little bit about um, how it has helped you and uh, and also in that include, where does diet fit in? And really, do you need a drug? Do you need a treatment? I absolutely feel that I need a treatment. I was diagnosed with FCS at five weeks old. And since then, I've had pancreatitis over 30 times. I am 28. So that's a lot of attacks in a short period of time. I follow an extremely strict diet. Yep. I'm talking 10 grams of fat or less. I've been on an even stricter diet of five grams of fat. And it does not matter. My triglycerides still stay at about 2,000 or so. And I get the pancreatitis attacks frequently. I started Way Libra. My life dramatically changed. I have not had pancreatitis in three years. And, you know, the diet still has to be strict. And I, I do um, stick to about 10 grams of fat still. But, you know. That's nothing, really. <laughs> 10 no. grams of fat a day is it's nothing. Um, but just the burden of, or I don't have that fear of pancreatitis anymore. So it's just so much, life is so much better. I feel like I finally have started living a normal life. And so you're aware of the risks. I, yes, I am. And, and you would still like that option. I would definitely like the option. Yeah. Yes. Well, I, you know, again, uh, I like, I, I really admire, I understand your strength and both of you that you have where you say, you know, we're both patients. This affects us. We're not a, your, your daughter's a patient, Melissa, but you're both affected by this personally. You needed a moment as people. Then you're working with your community to move forward. And it is your fight. But really, we're all watching. So, I mean, that, I, and that's not, I'm not saying pressure. I'm just saying, you know, this is an issue, and that's why we're talking about it. There's no easy answers. It's not like the FDA is, is it, they're not the bad guy. It's that their process is built on um, not necessarily for rare disease. And I think right. there's a lot of changes that have been made that are making it better. The fact that you can actually have a meeting with them to follow up is huge. Right. So, I mean, I'm really looking forward to watching that. My fingers are crossed. I'm really hopeful. Um, we all know that a lot of drugs that go through clinical trial don't get approved. And it's pretty it's pretty devastating. And I, I'm certainly hopeful um, that that does not end up being the case in this one. I feel, uh, I feel inspired and motivated by your, your willingness to say, okay, this is our fight. We're going to keep fighting. Definitely. You know, that leads me to 
a question that I have from this morning, this morning's session, um, the keynote. So in this context, what are you most proud of? I think I'm most proud of, and I think you feel the same, um, that when we heard the news from the FDA, we didn't just back down and say, okay, well, you know, that's what it is. We really came together as a community. We thought of ways that we could move forward and, you know, raise more awareness and take this as really an opportunity to get stronger. And I think I'm really proud of how we rallied as a community. What gives you hope? I think just seeing how the community to come together and say, okay, this is what we need to do. And people who have been quiet in their experience with the disease over the course of the last two years that we've had the foundation have suddenly come out and they're motivated. Yeah. And we're kind of meeting them yeah. for the first time. Right. They've probably been watching quietly, yes. right? Yes. And now they are showing up and they're engaging in conversation and dialogue and they're connecting with other people. And that's really exciting because when Juliana was first diagnosed, I didn't think that would ever be the case for her. And now there's this community growing that she's going to grow right into yeah. and have access to. And that gives me hope because I think we're fighting this fight right now for We Livra and who knows what comes down the way, but we're growing our community and strengthening it. And what are you most afraid of? Right now, I think I have hope about We Libra, but I think that I am also afraid if that drug doesn't get approved, what that means for, you know, my future. And then the patient, I mean, all the FCS patients' futures as well. I mean, especially after hearing their personal stories, you just want the best for them. And yeah. that scares me to think that some people that really so desperately need this option might not get that. Yeah, as a patient leader, it, it is hard not to take on the worry of everyone else as well, right? Mm -hmm. And their yes. health and their well-being. Right. I certainly felt that way when we faced the FDA. When part of the community had approval and the other part didn't, I, it was devastating. I really was worried about all of these people who'd suffered for so long. So, yeah, we're all, we're all in that part together for sure. Right. Yeah, it's no longer about just me or just Melissa's daughter. It's right. the whole community. We want what's best. We're all watching and, and hoping and, and rooting for you. So hopefully we'll have another follow-up that, yes. that says, yay, <laughs> yes. it really passed. <laughs> That'd be wonderful. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Rare and Common podcast. Tune in for more at rareincommon.com. Listen to other episodes in the archives and sign up to find out when new episodes are released. Rare in Common Podcast. Click, listen, feel.